episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by SEM Rush. It is our go-to SEO tool for doing audits, for tracking position and ranking, for really getting ideas on how to get more organic traffic for our clients, competitive intelligence, backlinks, and things like that. All the important SEO tools that you need for paid traffic, social media, PR, and of course, SEO. Check it out at semrush.com forward slash partner forward slash duct tape marketing. And we'll have that in the show notes. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Ron Tite. He is the founder and CEO of an agency called Church and State. He's also the host and executive producer of a very short run podcast called The Coup and the author of Think, Do, and say a book we're going to talk about today, How to Seize Attention and Build Trust in a Busy, Busy World. So welcome, Ron. John, thank you for having me. So um, we're recording this in mid-November, depending upon when people listen to this. This may or may not make sense, but I think that I'm going to close my office on Black Friday. Are you with me? <laughs> yes, I think you should. <clears throat> so you tell a story about, and I'm a huge fan of this, of REI, and I'm a huge fan of what they did uh, with with uh, this. And so why don't you, uh, because I think that, well, you gave this story so much space very early in the book. So I'm, I'm going to at least assume that uh, to you, it sort of frames kind of the entire book in a lot of way, or at least the point of the entire book. Um, so tell, you want to, you want to kind of unpack the REI Black Friday story and and kind of contextualize it for think do say yeah that, that it is it is such a great example of the model and it's a great example of the model delivered in that first launch bot in thirty seconds um, where you you get to know everything about the organization within thirty seconds and so the the model of think do say is that the think side is that. Um, well, sorry, I'll back up. Given the world that we're living in, and uh, you know, people don't know who to trust. They don't know who to, they don't know where to look, and they don't know who to trust. So, with that, and and that's at all levels of the organization. That's consumers. That's B two B clients. They don't know where to look. They don't know who to trust. So, how do you respond to that? And how do you you know uh, um, bubble up to the surface where you can win attention, seize attention and build trust along the way for, a, you know, having a business with longevity. Well, I thought REI did such a great job of that in that on the think side, what do they think? Well, they believe in something that goes beyond what they sell because what they sell is outdoor equipment, you know, uh, hugging boots and tents and stuff like that. And other people sell that stuff. There's, there, it's not like they can claim to have the best sleeping bags, the best hiking boots. Other people sell that stuff. So they have to believe in something that goes beyond that. And the CEO, you know, uh, the original uh, CEO of this initiative says this line, we believe that a life lived outside is a life well lived. So they believe in something that goes beyond what they sell. Secondly, he doesn't just believe it, but he actually acts with intent. He takes decisions that reinforces that belief specifically. So one of the things that REI did was they closed their store and all e-commerce channels on Black Friday. 
So we believe this. This is how we behave to support that belief. And then the third part is if we believe in something more important and we behave in a way that reinforces that belief, that's not only worth talking about. It's something that people want to hear about. But so if we are going to talk about it, then we should talk about it in a really authentic way. And they do that. They talk about it in their own unique voice. And so that initiative of, you know, hashtag opt outside started in 2015, but it still exists today. They will be closing this Black Friday and it has grown. They've increased other partners. But I think there's just such a, it's such a great illustration of this is what we believe. This is what we do to reinforce the belief. And this is how we talk about it. And I think it's even maybe a little deeper because it's what their clients believe. It's what their customers believe too, I think. Yes. And what's really interesting about that is that, I mean, we can say it's their customers. I think what's important about it, it's who conceivably would be their customers. Because if you just say what you th- believe, what your customers believe, then, well, that's a little that's a little uh, opportunistic, right? That you're, you're aligning your beliefs with the people who give you money. Opposed to saying, we're going to align with people who share our values and our belief. We know that enough of those people will convert to being customers. And those that don't, that's totally cool because that's not where our alignment is. But I think there has to be a confidence that when you align on values and belief, beliefs, enough of those people will convert to being customers and clients. Over the last couple of years, and I know you do a lot of work in retail, but over the last couple of years, REI is really transitioning their business to be they still sell the clothes and the tents, but they they seem to be moving, uh, you know, just kind of headlong into travel and experiences. Um, and I, I would you see that? And maybe you're not aware of that, but it, would you see that as a as a transition of retail for them, or do you see that as an expansion of where they think the world's going? I think that what it is is it gives them the opportunity to diversify their portfolio in a way that still reinforces their brand belief. So if you're a, if you're General Motors and all you do is sell cars and your brand belief is that you should make the best car in the world, that's amazing when people are buying cars. But with ride sharing and autonomous vehicles, well, now what do you do? Your product-focused brand belief is useless and doesn't protect you from the, you know, the dynamic forces of the economy or, or from, you know, uh, cultural interests. So when REI is saying we believe in a life lived outside is a life well lived, that immediately set themselves up to broaden their horizons, diversify their portfolio, because the new services of travel, and they're also doing classes of teaching people how to canoe, that still reinforces their belief. So, yeah, I think, you know, I mean, in culture, a great example is Lady Gaga, who doesn't believe in being the best singer in the world. Because if she did, she'd never be an actress. But she believes that people should be free to express themselves. And she lives that through acting, through music, through choreography, through visual arts, and now through a a fashion line. So one of the threads that runs through your book, and quite frankly, a lot of books over the last couple of years, is this idea of, of, you know, tell people what you believe. Um, Do we have to state what we believe in order to connect today? I mean, is that just, we just have to get over it and do it? No, I think that what's getting uh, confusing is that brands and leaders representing those brands are thinking that we have to align corporate purpose with social issue. And that's just wrong. Now, in some cases, if that sort of leads people to doing stuff that sounds good, doesn't it? It, it really does. And they go, well, what is everybody talking about? Oh, they're talking about the environment. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We believe that too. 
you know, and and which is fine if it's strategically aligned with what you sell, because what you sell is your due. So if you're Nike and you say, you know, that everybody's an athlete and your purpose is to support those athletes in their pursuits, you're morally obligated to run that Colin Kaepernick ad. But if you're Pepsi and you say that the world should come together in unity and you hire Kendall Jenner to be a spokesperson, you'd be like, what does that have to do with pop? That is, there's nothing strategically aligned there. If you're if you're Audi and you say that you know the world should uh, you know there should we should experience gender equality in the workforce, that's not why you make cars. I mean, come on, it's not that those issues aren't important, but I don't think so. I think if you do a good enough job, like REI. To say, we believe in this thing which is strategically aligned with what we sell but is elevated, then I don't think you have to, you know, say that whether you're a Trump supporter or not or whether you support Title IX or, you know, whatever, all those things, all those public policy things which can be divisive. Um, so, no, I don't, I don't think they have to. You, uh, I was in New York recently and uh, I was speaking at an event that was right in Times Square I stayed in Times Square <laughs> I hate <laughs> I hate Times Square yeah uh, by the way uh, but uh, you actually have a quite quite lengthy <laughs> explanation of or or kind of using Times Square as sort of a metaphor for our times today um, in the marketing world so you want to kind of unpack that yeah there I think you know I, I agree with you that if I'm in New York and I have to attain stay in Times Square, something has gone wrong. And, um, but I, I certainly have, have done it. There's, there's two sides to Times Square that I think represent the, the modern marketing landscape. The first side is up top and up top, there's nothing but promotion and it's really expensive to be there. And it is filled with legacy brands who have big budgets, who can afford, you know, the, the billboards and the video boards. And they're really slick and they're polished. Of course, they're really slick and polished. They have to spend all that money to buy the space. Of course, they're going to make it absolutely perfect. And um, so it's filled with opportunity. 400,000 people walk through Times Square or drive through Times Square every single day. Uh, it's really expensive and everybody wants to be there. But to the consumer, to the person that that entire ecosystem has been built for, they have no idea where to look. They have no clue where to look. Nothing catches their attention because everything is screaming. And so all those brands up top are paying a lot of money to just contribute to the noise. Now, that's one level. The second level is down street level. And street level, that's a whole other type of entrepreneur. That entrepreneur, they don't have the funds to live up top, but they can be more nimble. And they can be more authentic and they can be more aggressive and they can be more targeted and they don't have the baggage of those big legacy brands, but they also don't have the credibility of those big legacy brands. And so, and often they have new business models. You're not exactly sure who's making money, what, where, right? Yeah. Those guys, so have, guys handing out the, like the tour pamphlets, you know, I'm, I'm always yes. leery of them. Yes. So you got the pamphlet guys, you got somebody else selling you a fake Gucci. You got somebody telling you the end of the world is coming. You have someone selling street meat. You got someone selling watches, you know, and the street meat guy, that may be the best sausage or hot dog you've ever had in your life. But he's stuck down on this entrepreneurial level with all these nimble folks where you're not exactly sure who's valid and who's not. So up top, you don't know where to look. Down below, you don't know who to trust. And so in the middle of marketing is the sweet spot. That can we bring with us and dial up legacy aspects of credibility, responsibility, and history 
with the nimbleness and the authenticity that a customized and personalized delivery can bring us. That, to me, is the sweet spot where most, brand, most brands and, and most leaders need to live. Okay, it sounds exhausting. We'll get back to that. <laughs> um, there is a term that you use throughout this book, and you kind of kind of said that you didn't make it up and you weren't sure who did. So I coined the term pitch slap, um, just so you know. <laughs> it was you. Yeah, it was me. <laughs> so what the heck is that? A pitch slap is, is any um, overt or subtle pitching of your product when the sole focus of a piece of communication or a series of communications is to actually pitch your product or your service. And often, you know, we can smell this coming. It's it's the person who connects with you on LinkedIn who says, oh, John, you're such a brilliant person. I've been following you for years. I read all your books. What It must be so enlightening to just breathe the same air as you. And in your brain, you're going, I know where this is going. You're blowing smoke on my ass because you just want to pitch me your thing, right? And and so opposed to, look, John, I'm going to connect with you and I'm going to add value over time until it gets to the point when you like what you hear and you ask me how you can hire me. Those are two very different things. Now, I think a pitch slapping is the result of people gaming the system because the you know the promise of digital communications was that we'd be able to put the right products and the right services in front of the right people at the right time by being able to you know produce communications at, at never before as, as cheap as never as, as cheaper than we've ever been able to do it and and distribute that in ways to people all over the globe and what we've done, or what a lot of people have done, is they've tried to game the system by going, screw it, I'm not going to customize this, I'm just going to blast a million different people, and I'm going to pitch slap everybody, and um, and I don't care about the innocent bystanders who are offended, or who get frustrated, or who hate me for doing it, because two people are going to convert, and that's fine for me. And I think that's the problem with modern marketing communications. We were supposed to, this was supposed to be the promised land. And instead, it's a wasteland. So, you uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you do some stand-up, don't you, or have? Well, I, I yeah, I spent I spent 20 years as a stand-up, and then hosted a comedy show up until the point that my wife and I had our our first child uh, just close to two years ago. But I think you know, it's weird. Like, is speaking? It's there's a the version of stand-up, and I do about 70 keynotes a year. So kind of. <laughs> well, that's uh, and obviously it comes through in your writing as well. Uh, in fact, um, I didn't realize what a literary uh, researcher that you were. And, and you turned up some some new quotes from Confucius and John Rockefeller that, that I had really was not familiar with. So you're going to have to listeners, you're going to have to get the book to enjoy those. Um, but let me uh, let me ask you to share um, since we're kind of picking on. 
the people's use of some of the digital uh, tactics. You spend a lot of time talking about LinkedIn in general. So you want to go through some of the the various characters that we might meet on LinkedIn? Oh, I, I like 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 the, like the Gopher, for example. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there's a there, there's a um, I want to um, I'm going to call them up here because I want to make sure that I do them justice. Uh, so the the Groper, yes, the Groper is is the person who like right out of the gate. It's like they're all over you, yeah, right? They're yeah. all over you with that invite, to, uh, excuse me, to connect. Yeah, well, I, all they do I, I actually like get – I was going to say, I actually get some invitations that they don't even wait for me to accept. It's like in the invitation they're pitching me. Yeah, yeah. They're saying like, are you available for a call next day between 12 and 2? And you're like, what? I mean, that's a that's that is so aggressive. And I don't know who is teaching this. My favorite or actually – least favorite is the the ones that always um have in in there somewhere i'd like to meet to learn about your business i'm like if you if you don't know everything about my business you know that has like been on for 20 years you know online then you're not trying very hard yeah i what i love about that is the um what i call in the book the howdy partner right which is the not only do i want to know about your business but let's partner john i mean i'm a real estate agent and I can send clients your way, and you can send clients like what? Yeah, I don't, I don't partner with well-established organizations because there's not a fit. You think I'm going to partner with some random person? That's ridiculous. Unless there's synergies. No, no. Um, the other one that I I think is really funny is what I call the stumble upon, because I don't know if you get this a lot, but it, it just seems like every third invite is like people going like I stumbled upon your profile. And thought that we should connect. And like, really, you just stumbled upon my profile. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's like, I think I want to connect with people who are a little bit more targeted in their browsing. Um, go home, stumble upon, you're drunk, or you're supposed to be an imager. I used to love stumble upon, though. I don't know if you remember, yeah, the, okay. you remember that yes. app, you know? It was like in the early days yeah. of the internet, you know, you, you basically say, well, show me a website, you know, but... It, uh, things have changed. You know what, though? I think I think we're in need of – don't you think? Don't you think Stumble Upon should make um, a return? But it should be Stumble Upon for, like, TV shows, right? Stumble Upon, here's a Netflix show that you never thought. We need that curated experience. Yeah, well, that's that's a good point. I actually uh, got a pitch from somebody who's creating an, um, an app for podcasts. That That's kind of the idea where they're going to – they're going to, you know, based on your interest, curate a whole bunch of stuff and then just give you like one minute, you know, snips so that yeah. you can kind of decide. I thought that was kind of clever. You know, I was I was um, chatting with our friend Jay Bear last week and we were discussing this thing of like, oh, yeah, you know, geez, I mean, where do you go for stuff? Because there's so many, so many shows and so many good things. And I said to Jay, I think we need to start a magazine called TV Guide, <laughs> you know, like so we could just. Find out what the heck is on all the different streaming services. Yeah. I, You know, it's amazing. You all go out to dinner with somebody and they'll say, oh, yeah, we just started watching this show. And it's like, I, I never even heard of it. You know, where, yeah, where I know. Like, all right. So we probably we, we got knocked off course here a little bit, but I really wanted to come back with the money question. You know, what yep. should we be doing <laughs> that we're not doing today? What we should be doing is we we um, I, I don't think we're putting enough emphasis on the foundations and especially on the two ends of the uh, of the spectrum so a really really large organizations where kind of the, the you know the bureaucracy has come in and said like let's just check a box 
Let's just check a box and say that we did the thing and see if we can pursue those metrics, even though it has no foundation to growing our business whatsoever. The second thing is that, you know, within entrepreneurial mindset where people are like, I want to just, I want to get to the thing that allows me to beat my chest and say, I've got the thing. And often that means we're chasing these vanity metrics and it's, you know, we need to play the long game. We just need to play the long game. And this is not rocket science. If we believe in something more important that allows us to diversify our portfolio and be nimble and pivot and all those things, and then we actually focus on what do we actually do to reinforce it. And those can, that can be products, but that can also be, you know, based on who we do it for and what they want us to do. Like what problems can we solve for people? Um, and how do we acknowledge who we do it with? And then the third part of like, look, let's just talk about it in an authentic way. Let's have real conversation with real people. There's nothing that's brilliant about that. There really isn't, but it takes a commitment and it takes focus on business foundations. And slowly over time, you will build the business. You will build your profile. You know, it's in the subtitle, um, but we haven't really talked enough about it. I mean, I think the real game that we're all involved in, maybe always have been, but it's gotten harder and messier is it's, it's trust, isn't it? It most certainly is. And as marketers, marketers have spent a lot of time, and I'm, and I'm just as guilty, by the way, of saying, how do we cut through the noise? How do we cut through the noise? How do we get people's attention? It's a, you know, it's a goldfish universe, blah, all those things. And it's like, look, if you just want to gain attention, kill a puppy, just kill a puppy. You will get attention. People will talk about you. But if you want to grab attention and build trust, so that that new business cost, that acquisition cost decreases over time, um, then that is about trust. And trust is based on actually delivering. And it's actually delivering in a way that people, uh, in one way, expect because it aligns with your beliefs, and another way, don't expect because it goes well beyond what they're used to getting from brands. And when you can do that, I think, you know what? You'll be good. Like you will continue to grow the business. If you're a thought leader, you will continue to grow your influence. Now, are you going to get that massive spike in traffic? Maybe not. But incrementally, you will continue to grow over time. And we're, you know, it should be the long game or in Simon Sinek's new word, the infinite game um, that we really should be focused on. Amen to that. So, Ron, where can people find more about Think, Do, Say and some of the other work you're doing there at Church and State? They can go to the Church and State website, churchstate.co. They can go to thinkdosay.com or rontight.com because I'm an equal opportunity URL giver. Well, and uh, you are, I'm assuming you're you're in Toronto today? I'm in Toronto. I'm on my way to New Jersey and then uh, to Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati and then Arizona? No, Toronto, back to Toronto, and then Arizona. But <clears throat> the book is available in both Canada and the United States. Isn't that an amazing world we live in? <laughs> it's part of the North American Free Trade Agreement or whatever we're calling it now. <laughs> it's, it's certainly not that, I'm sure. Ron, <laughs> great catching up with you. Hopefully we'll run into you soon out there on the road. Sounds good, John. Thanks so much, and, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Really appreciate it. <laughs>